Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin. I'm so happy you're here. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. And for those of you that have been with me all along, your support means the world to me. And I'm so pleased. I feel that my next guest here does not need an introduction. She is a famous yoga teacher, and I have utmost respect for her. Her name is Judith Hansen Lassiter. And you can find her at judith.yoga, so www.judith.yoga. And Judith Hansen Lasseter is a PhD. She's a physical therapist. She's taught yoga around the world since 1971. She offers numerous live events, digital courses. She's published 10 books. And today, the focus of our conversation is in speaking about her most recent book called Teaching Yoga with Intention. So I want to express a huge thank you to Judith because she was so kind in accepting my invitation to be here on this podcast. And without any further ado, let's get started. I am so thrilled to have Dr. Judith Hansen Lassiter here today, and who is PhD and a physical therapist and a yoga teacher since 1971. Judith, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. I hope the same for you. I am. I'm really uh, excited about. I've been. I actually couldn't sleep last night because I was so excited for. Her. This yeah, conver- I tell my children that. Yeah, I tell my grandchildren that that they should be equally as excited when I call and talk to them. Yeah, you can you can tell them that. I, I hope that, I hope they'll listen to you and and appreciate that. But um, well, this is a great opportunity. I I, I got a chance to read your most uh, recent book called Teaching Yoga with Intention: The Essential Guide to Skillful Hands on Assist and Verbal Communication. So I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you about this today. And But before we even go down that track, I'm curious, Judith, if you can um, just tell me a little bit about how what you're doing these days, like what, what your yoga practice and teaching is like these days. Well, one of the exciting things is uh, beginning to teach live again. Mm. And in, traditionally, yoga course was taught one-on-one. And it was BKF Iyengar in the modern era who really uh, began, initiated, and created this whole idea of classes. Mm. But, but it's still live. You can still feel the room when you teach. You can still make eye contact with each person if, mm. if that's appropriate. And, and so what I'm finding is this huge thirst to be in community, to be in sangha, to be with other people, just their presence, practicing with you in the room is a, is a nonverbal but very powerful support. And we all need that right now. Mm. So that's what I'm liking. And uh, 
that's what's alive for me. I'm very excited about this new book because I wrote it during the pandemic. Uh, it flowed out of me. And uh, that's always a good sign for a writer. I hear you. I think it's an amazing book. Um, I enjoyed reading it immensely. I found so many great points. I feel like you got just, you, you really honed in on some of the things that when I think, how would I explain this to somebody and have a loss of words, you did a great job of really laying out the foundation for healthy communication, both, both verbally and if we use the power of touch in our, in our teaching. So I think you did an amazing job. Thank you. But before we go into the book, I really would like to follow. I'm all excited, of course, to talk to you about. <laughs> Please. But I, I, I'd like to follow my tradition of when I speak from the from the mat or from the cushion or in this place from my office chair. But I speak about what I think is for us, all of us who are listening, a really important part of our life, which is our practice. I'd like to start with a moment of silence. That'd be great. So I'm going to ring my bell. And what I suggest you do is to sit. And sit in front of your sitting bones, which brings your pelvis forward and then brings the pelvis under the spine to be like a pot to support this curvy, winding spine, normal curve. So the, the brain and the head can float on the top of it. And that physical alignment will resonate through us energetically as well. And then my suggestion is that during that moment, if you find it interesting, useful, and or pleasant, just imagine the very center of your brain geographically from the sides of your head, from the top and the bottom and the front of the back, the deep center of the brain, and just like a wave moving away from the shore. You, you you stay rooted in that spot. I'll ring the bells in about a minute. I'll ring them again. Wonderful. Fire away with your question. Yeah. First of all, I love the visual of a wave pulling away from shore. That's that's a really beautiful 
visual that works with almost that sensation of trying to put your attention right in the center of the brain? Is that something that has came to you one day while practicing meditation or, or uh, what, what made you think of that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it just popped into my consciousness one day and I actually find that I can do that with my eyes open and I do it in conversation. I'll be doing it a lot through our talk. It's just a very, it takes you away from thinking. Did you notice that? Yeah. Because I had this word I've made up, you know, we all know the word mindfulness, but I really like the word bodyfulness. Mm, And when we can have, whenever we have sensation, we become aware of sensation, like the weight of our body on the chair, the floor, the sensations of the breath. It's when we can cultivate our attention to be aware of the sensation of the moment, we step out of thought. Mm. Because, and it's, we step from that space into, into the present, into the present moment, because sensation only occurs in the present moment. You can remember that yesterday you stubbed your toe and it hurt, but you can't recreate that sensation. So sensation lives in the moment, and when we put our awareness on the bodily sensation, we we must then not be dancing with thought. Mm. So here's here's another technique that arose in me, um, and it was this idea of the tongue. So let's try this for a second. Go back to the center of your brain. And release your tongue from its root and let it lie flat in the mouth. Now, when I do that, that deepens the silence for me. Mm. Did you find that? Yeah, to bring the attention to, well, to even just put it right into the mouth, but then to try to actually get my tongue to relax. That's a good one. (laughs) No, no, no. Don't try. Don't try. Invite. 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 So here's what I've, what I've reasoned out about that. If the tongue is not just an organ of digestion, a muscle, it's also an organ of speech. And so it's neurologically connected to the speech centers. So we have parts of our brain that are very connected with speech and writing mm. and thinking because we think in words. And have you ever seen a little kid, or maybe you did this yourself. I remember doing it when I was learning to write. Sometimes my tongue would be outside my mouth or <laughs> writing the letters. Yeah, with, yeah. Because it's, a, it's a, the tongue has motor skills. Your babies, infants have to learn how to swallow. They, 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 they have to learn to swallow. I mean, that, that with the tongue and how to nurse and all of that. So I think that when we relax the tongue, we and there is some evidence to this that we affect the neural pathways to, to the brain. And so when I combine for me center of the brain, release the tongue. Let the heart expand to its true size. 
Then descend to the pelvis and feel the pulse of life, of being in the pelvis. Thank you. We are then radically <laughs> present in the being, the body, which lives in the moment. Did you find anything of that in your this moment? Oh, I, I did, Judith. I mean, um, <clears throat> two things I love right off the bat is the languaging you used around don't try, invite. That's amazing. That's a big shift. And then I start thinking, well, we really don't have anything to talk about now because you already, you already got to the you got, <laughs> you got to the heart. Of, <laughs> you got to the heart of the matter right off the bat. I mean, um, <laughs> so that was. Oh, may I tell you a story about that? Yes, please. So my second time that I went to Russia, I think I went the first time in '89 when the wall was coming down, and then again in '91. And uh, the first time I went. There were just a couple of two or three Americans there, but then there were a, a larger group that went. And we were in a big cafeteria in one of the big hotels that, that where we were all staying. And then a group of Russian yoga teachers came walking towards us. They came in, you know, and I, because I'd been there before, got up. Everyone was like, what do we do? What do we do? And so I got up and walked towards them, and pretty soon other people started coming. And we, started introducing ourselves and I remember distinctly talking to a woman and I was doing the southern girl chatty chatty oh your city's beautiful I got it that you know whatever yeah and she reached over and she grabbed me by the upper arm and she leaned into me and she said no let us talk of real things oh. so I, I love that wow so that's what you and that's what you and I are about I think right yeah. now Yep. Let's get right to the, to the heart of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's amazing, Judith. Yay. Hey. Well, well, in, you know, in your book, you mentioned the importance of language and you, you mapped it into like three different stages, but can you please define and explain uh, the three levels or stages of learning about language and the teaching of yoga? Would you prompt me on that, please? <laughs> I will, because the first one is, you you talked about how first, as a yoga teacher, we um, we transfer info, quote, about the pose. So like the first level of conversation is kind of like, okay, triangle pose. And let me just like convey some words to help you get from point A to point B. Yeah, it's just information. Yeah. It's like it's technique, which is very important because technique affects energy and organs and state of mind of the nervous system. And we're very complex. In fact, you know, years ago, people used to say body and mind and body were completely separate. That was the Western view. Mm. And then it started hyphenating that term. Oh, interesting. You know, and then there was a period you'd see it written as one word. I see it a lot now, mind body is one word. Yeah. So I've made up a word, which is Mahdi. Mahdi. Yeah. Because the, the body and the mind are, are so not. Yeah. That's a great word. 
Marty. So yeah, I we, we should get it. Uh, we should uh, get it in the dictionary. Another word I made up is not just hype. It's not just uh, multitasking; it's hypertasking. So I, you know, is there? So I want unitasking to be in the dictionary, right? <laughs> and we, the, the spiritual practice asks the question: Can we do one thing at a time? And usually, mm. the answer is no way, Jose. Right. So, so yes, the first part of communication is, of course, nonverbal. But if we get past that, we're giving them information because if someone comes in and just teach me how to do yoga and we just say do you do triangle pose we need to tell them turn the left foot in the right foot out stretch the arms etc yeah and and but that's not our most important job so number two is the beginning of the personalization of instructions yeah so a leader in yoga someone who leads the class I've even seen people turn their back and just do their practice and people follow them, mm. and which surprises me. So you're leading. And, and, but then teaching begins when you can say to this person, please put your feet wider apart, and to this next person, would you bring them clo- closer together? When there's an individuation of how we can support each people expressing the beauty of their trikonasana in this moment. Good point. In ways that keep them safe and open their heart and mind at the same time. And bring them into their body, into their own self. Uh, so that's a deeper, that's a real teacher. The teacher sees both the difference and the absolute unity among all people. And to help them, help the students. Well, I think What's the third one? <laughs> yeah, I think you're hit. You're, you answered that really well. Thank you. The, when the teacher is able to communicate in such a way that their words evoke or conjure the pose from the student or, or how the student can discover the pose already exists within them. And I love how you wrote as, a, as an ancient archetype. That's so cool. Like the, the thought well, of it. Yeah. Of a pyramid. Mm. which is a three-dimensional triangle. Yeah. So that presupposes the understanding that we can never teach anybody anything. We can only create an environment in which people choose to learn. So the question is, how are we going to create that environment with our language? Mm. Are we so I make intentional choices. I don't say good or bad, right or wrong. Oh, I might say to a student, I really like the way your knee is in that pose, or I'm concerned about the placement of your knee. Would you try this and see what you think, how it feels to you? Mm-hmm. So, because if I come, you know, stomping in the class and say, do this, do this, do this, and then I learn something and I want to change my mind, I've painted myself in a corner. So what I want to teach yeah. In, in that part of the of the poses, twofold that that teacher the second stage is it's like I I want to I want to teach them technique in a way that underscores trusting that that they trust themselves first. I want to use my words in a class to 
create an environment in which people are trusting themselves at the same time they're willing to try something new. Mm. And I'm not there to impose the pose, to fit them in a cookie cutter. So I like, I like to say to my students, I don't want to teach you rules. I want to teach you principles mm. because that's a bigger, bigger idea. Um, there are anatomical principles about how the pelvis can move over the femoral head in trichinosina that will relieve the lower back and create a sense of ease and dynamism at the same time. You know, that in, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, in chapter 2, verse 46, Dharam Sukhamasanam. It's a definition of asana. So abiding in ease is asana. So an asana is that which we can be in which we can be still and at ease. And it's really ironic because we think of it as movements that are difficult. Good point. <laughs> and I'm, so how I'm, can I create an environment in which people find their their trick and asana? I'm, it's not airy fairy. I mean, there are boundaries. There are alignment principles. Yeah. You, know, you could be, you know, hyperextending your knee or whatever that guide us. But the, but the asana, how the asana isn't the yoga. It's the residue that the asana leaves in the nervous system that's the mm. yoga. Mm. Because yoga is not just, uh, you know, to paint with a broad brush, asana, pranayama, and meditation. Those point to the potential of presence, which is the state of yoga. So we confuse them. People say, I'm going to go do yoga. Yes. It's like, what? When are we all going to say, I'm going to go in my own room and be yoga? Right. That's and bring point. that into the world. And bring that into the world. That state of presence. Compassion. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Great point, Judith. Was there a point in your transformation through your yoga journey where maybe you were practicing a yoga pose and thinking about that yoga sutra where it's mentioning that the asana, stable, comfortable, and thinking, how in the world could this be comfortable? I'm, I'm, in, this, <laughs> I'm in this really like uncomfortable position right now. And has yeah. that informed your teaching and or evolution of your practice over the years? Yes, but it wasn't a thought. It was an experience, which I'm happy to share with you. Please. Your would like. Please. So I was taking a class from another teacher. And I was doing what it, at that time for me was my favorite pose, which was Paschimottanasana, which is just sitting on the floor, legs straight and bending forward, which I think is the hardest forward bend because there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> like if you bend one knee, if you bend one knee and do Johnny Shishasa, you can cheat all over the place. But you cannot cheat 
inspired your most unhappy. You and your handprint, baby, that's it. There's no getting away from it. And it's also true, I think it's Urva John Yurasana is the most difficult back then. Mm. Because when you're doing one side, Raja Kapitasana, or you're doing one side, you know, there's two debility in there. All right. So that was my favorite pose. And I was, I like to say I had my hamstring surgically removed at birth. So, <laughs> you know, I did ballet for a long time and I'm, you know, just sort of naturally a little loose. And so it was just flat down, you know, forehead on the shins. I mean, I felt a little bit of stretch. Yeah. But not much, you know, I was pretty comfortable there. And my mind is spinning, like, what are we going to, how long are we going to be here? What's happening? What's that other person doing? What I'm going to have for lunch after class? You know, the normal. Yep. Useless brain chatter. And then there was this experience, and I want to treat this story with humility, gratitude, and wonder. And I had this sense that something just kind of flew out of me. And I still felt the stretch, but I wasn't doing anything. Mm. And I just stayed. I there. It wasn't like I even stayed. It was like there was no neat reason to move. There was no discomfort. There was mm. no agitation. Yep. I just stayed there. And finally, the teacher said, "Come up," and I didn't come up because I didn't know what that meant. Literally, bar. he said, come up. And I'm like, what does that mean? Because he was, it would be as if I were saying to you, stop jumping up and down. Yeah. And you'd go, what? <laughs> I'm not jumping up I'm and down. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he said, stop doing the pose. And I'm like, what is he talking about? And then this little ego stuck its head out behind a tree in my consciousness and said, wow, that was cool. <laughs> and then I started, you know, then it just shifted again. But I, I thought to myself afterwards, well, I finally practiced one pose. Mm. It's my first pose. You know, it was yeah. years into my practice. But so does that answer your question? It does. It yeah. does. Perfect. I, you know, one, one thing that I really, since I've read your book, I've, been extra thoughtful about my speech and my my touch in a good way like in a really good way like maybe where I was just on autopilot for a little bit and I kind of forgot that mm-hmm. how important it is and um you, you made mention in your book uh this is quoting you uh we speak to manipulate the world around us end quote can you uh, explain that. What yes, it, it makes sense yes. to me. It makes sense to me, but I love it. I thought it was like really. It's actually kind of profound when I heard that. Like we speak to manipulate the world around us. Like I might think, I'm not trying to manipulate the world. I'm just like just getting through the world here or whatever. So I, I love that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first, let's look at the word manipulate because that has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. But but. If we're truthful, Todd, you are manipulating the world around you all day long. Yep. You go for a run, you're, you're manipulating your consciousness, right? You go for a run, you smoke a funny cigarette, you uh, smoke a real cigarette, not that you do these things, but you in the general <laughs> sense. You, yes. you have coffee, you want your coffee, you want your caffeine, which manipulates your nervous system. You do your pranayama or your yoga, you stand on your head, all of this manipulates your nervous system. 
You go to sleep, it manipulates your nervous system. We're always seeking homeostasis. You are choosing, you know, when you eat, you feel different. You manipulate your nervous system. That's what human beings do. And there's two kinds of manipulation. There's the unconscious one and the conscious one. And so to me, that's what yoga is about, is paying attention to how doing shavasana, shavasana manipulates your nervous system. Does it not? It does. Okay. So that's a conscious manipulation. So the question is not not to manipulate. It's am I doing it consciously to to, to live my highest value? Good point. And that's what yoga makes us aware of. And and this speech that I've that I've studied, this technique of nonviolent communication, has radically changed my relationships and my interactions with my children as they were growing up and in intimate relationships and in teaching. And the best way we can do that. Well, let me, let me, let me back up a second. Every time I go to teach, whether it's online or in person, the first thing I do is have the one minute. And, during that one minute, I connect with myself. This is the first rule of teaching. When I sit there in front of you today or in class, the first thing I do is I ask myself this question. What is alive in me right now? Am I anxious? Am I happy? Am I sleepy? Am I irritated by the discussion I just had with someone? It doesn't really matter what is arising in me. But when I get connected with that, oh, right now I'm tired, or right now I'm excited, or right now I'm worried about one of my children. There's always one of the three was at the top of the worry list, you know, over the years. Whatever, whatever is arising in me, when I notice it, when I bring it into the light, it connects me with the present moment. Mm. And I go, ah, yes, I'm feeling excited. Ah. I don't judge it. I don't try to make it different. I don't try to fix it. I just notice it because and and name it to myself. Right now, I'm sad because my uncle died. I'm just sad right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's what's alive in me. Yeah. And then I'm firm, firm, firmly present, radically present. I call it because we're very rarely there. So the next thing I want to do is I want to be able to see you. And I can't see you and or connect with you if I'm not connected with myself. So when I see you, and it's really tricky because I've taught for 51 years. I've had students who've been with me for 45 years, wow. 40 years, 35 years. That's amazing. Okay. Yes. You, you know everything about them. You know that before they met their husband, then they got <laughs> yeah. married, then they got divorced, then they had these kids, <laughs> then they had this surgery, then this. I mean, and so it, it blurs. It blurs, in a way, your objectivity. So when I go to teach somewhere where I don't know most of the people, I sometimes feel that's my best teaching. Because mm. I don't see my friend, I see a human being. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I, you may know yep. what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. So, so that's, yeah. So the second part of this is I want to see the person standing in front of me. They may have been there for many weeks or never again, but can I be present with that person in this moment? Nice. That's a great technique. And then the, 
third thing is to give them information about the post. Now, these are, these are ranking my values. So it used to be the other way around. I'd come into class and I would want to teach them information. And in some kind of very not so subtle way, want to make them do it. Mm. And, and sometimes I'd find myself just feeling irritated. And, and that was never important to me. So even now, 51 years of teaching, 52 years of practice, very rarely, but once in a while I go into a class and I get a little bit triggered. I call it ruffled. Yeah, yes. Because I look at their student, and again, they're doing that to the knee, and I've been telling them for years, and I just have this moment of, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you, you know what I'm talking about. I do know you're talking about. <laughs> so what I do, and this I learned from nonviolent communication, is I, I give myself empathy. I notice it. And I go, how human of me. How I love human that one. Yeah, it's I, to, feel, to feel a little irritated, how human of me. And already it's dissolving. And now I can do it like almost like a leaflet. But it arises, it's gone. It arises, it's gone. That's, and, a, that's an amazing one, Judith. And I, I use that one today because I really love the... The, uh, and I'll, I'll try to get you to explain that a little bit further so it makes really good sense for people. I, I think it makes great sense right off the bat, but just to have a little bit of empathy for ourselves in the sense of how human of me that I reacted that way in that moment. And I had a situation today where I was doing a little assist and a pose and I thought my shin bone was above a kneecap. And then right away there was like this jump and like, oh, you're on my knee. And I was trying to be so aware since I was really focusing on like what I was doing. And then, so because I made a mistake and there was that reaction, my first thing was like, I wasn't on your knee. I didn't say that, but that was my initial inside dialogue right away. But then I right away thought about your, 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 um, what you're coaching on or what you were saying in terms of, you know, just observe that how and, human of me. and, and yeah. my reaction and how human of me. And it, it really did dissipate that whole inner dialogue that could have gone on for another 15 minutes about yes. how dare yes. them say that about the fact that I didn't even get near their knee and they're complaining. You know what I mean? So that's a really yes. powerful technique. I, I really love that part. That was great. That is Thank great. You. Thank you. Well, uh, you're a quick study, but that is, that is really a very, very important thing. And I want to tell you, can I tell you a story about how I first really, learn this in a, in a teaching situation. Yes, please. And not just an academic. All right. I was, I just started teaching restorative yoga. I taught my first teacher training in restorative yoga in 2001, right before 9-11, which was amazing. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I don't. So then it was like maybe the next year. So maybe 2002. I went to another state and I was doing a teacher training, big class. And, I didn't have any assistance. Now I have like, I usually limit to 80 and I have 10 assistants. <laughs> you know, it takes a village. Yes. Uh, so we get a lot of personal attention. But anyway, so there was, I mentioned, as, as per usual, there were quote unquote scandals going on in the yoga community. Mm. You know, or boundary crossings, you know, the same old, same old. Yeah. So I, I mentioned something about being clear about boundaries as a yoga teacher. And in fact, I like to say often in teacher trainings, the 
first most important thing is not what I'm going to teach, but what is going to be my relationship with my students. Because teaching is a, is a relationship activity. All right. So then we have a big discussion about what is going to be my relationship with my students. You know, vis-a-vis words, touch, uh, friendship, outside of class, where's the boundary? What, you know, it's a very good uh, topic. So all I said was that, you know, we should think carefully about this, like maybe three or four sentences. And then I looked up and a woman about two thirds of the way back in the room was starting to cry, really cry. And people were handing her Kleenex and everything. Oh, wow. And I said, you know, not what you really want to happen, but these things happen. I said, you know, what's happening? And she said, I can't believe you said that about my guru. Mm. Now, did you hear me mention a guru? No. I didn't. You talked about that. I never mentioned another teacher's name from the mat. I might want to. And I'll say, I learned this from DKS Iyengar. But I don't mention other teachers. If they say, well, I was taught by so-and-so to do it this way, you know, why are you teaching? I just say, well, I don't know why so-and-so does that, but this is what I like. Let me show you that again. So I have respect for yoga teachers, and I don't talk gossip about them in public or out of public as much as possible. I don't do it. So I knew I didn't mention the guru because I never do that. So my mind was very much like, it was like, what? And my instinct from training or lack of training was to defend myself. But I didn't say it. And then to get other people to agree with me that something was wrong with her. But instead, what I did was I gave myself empathy. How human of me to want to defend that. What I believe was the truth. And then I began to soften. And then I was able to give her empathy, which sounded like this. So do you want us, you just want us to know how much you love your guru and you want, you want us to know that? And yes, and she perked up a little bit. And then I did another round of saying, and maybe you also want us to respect your guru because to you, he's a very important person in your life and your practice. Yes, you know, and maybe one more sentence, just reflecting back, guessing what might be going on with her. I wasn't telling her what she was feeling. I was guessing. Yeah. And she, she was perking up and stopped crying. And, you know, pretty soon the energy in the room softened and we just went right on. Nice. All right. So fast forward to the last day of the workshop. <laughs> and, you know, people were coming up to say thank you. And she was in the line. And she was just beaming at me. And she said, this was the best workshop I ever took. I said, well, thank you very much. And then she said this. And thank you for apologizing about what you said about my guru. Mm. Now, in my mind... <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't I, do that. I was, I was apologizing. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. Because it's not yeah. about what I say. It's about what you hear. Yeah. And if that's what she heard, and there again was that thing rising up out of habit that wanted to say, but I never apologize. So somehow... Somehow, and this was really the first time I was able to do this in a tense situation. I just looked at her and I smiled and said, "You're welcome." Nice. <laughs> and then she said, "And she said, may I hug you?" And she <laughs> did. It still gives me chills right now uh. in this moment. And she went off, and, the, and I still don't know who her guru was. I never knew who her guru was. I never apologized. <laughs> I, and, and she, but she heard that because she heard it with her heart. 
Yeah. When I yeah. said, do you want us to know how much you yeah. respect your guru? She heard that as being seen and heard what her feelings and needs were in that moment. Yeah. And so she heard, she translated that inside her body. <laughs> she translated <laughs> that as an apology. Yeah. And I, my ego wanted to defend, but my white wisdom, which was a milli, you know, just slightly above like point zero 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 one above that ego response. And I said, you're welcome. And that taught me so much about communication that it first and foremost is the communication I have with myself. Mm. So I want to live. And when I train, I'm going to be doing a training soon on nonviolent communication online. We might talk about that later or not, but it is, the first and most important thing I can do in any communication is give myself empathy first so that I'm, yeah, I'm that thought. Makes perfect sense. And then I can, I can um, get, Oh, you, I never say you must be feeling, you want to have an argument with me? Tell me what I'm feeling. Right. Right. I'm not, you don't know. You can possibly. So off we go. So, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm wondering if right now you're just feeling excited by the learning that's going on uh, between you and me mm. and the dynamics of this conversation about things you care deeply about. So I'm wondering if, I'm guessing you're really enjoying this moment. That's incredible, you, Judith. I mean, I... That's giving you empathy for this moment. Yeah. Guessing what you might be feeling. And, you, and when you hear it, I'm guessing, again, that you feel seen and heard and you feel connection between us. Can you give an example because you you're making mention of someone that you're working with in the professional environment. Can you give an example of how that's occurred for you in the, in your family environment with your children? (laughs) (laughs) I I have, I have children as well. So as you kept bringing up, you know, you, you bring up a lot about how much, you've learned and grown over the years by the communication and stuff that's happened with the chill with kids. And I don't know what, I love the story that you talked about where I believe it was your daughter wanted to go to a concert and, you know, yeah, just, the rock concert yeah. Area. And, um, so is there, cause I, I find it's almost sometimes easier in the professional environment and harder in the family environment. I mean, I, 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 I you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. If- <laughs> <laughs> of course I know. So, uh, you mean it's harder when you're in your ashram with all those people with the same last name? <laughs> well, well, no, I, I guess I, yeah, exactly. Good point. I didn't. Oh, you caught. You took me a second to think about that. I'm in the so ashram with working, all the people with the same last name. That's a really great. I love that. It's my family ashram. That's a good way. I love it. I love it. I know it's it's really true though because they know how to push your buttons. Yeah, there's no, there's. So there was, my son wanted to go and, and we're getting, we're, we're getting really into the communication part of the book, which is fine. I don't care what we do. I'm enjoying our conversation. Uh, but my son was about 18 and he wanted to go four and a half hours to Tahoe. We have, we're very lucky in the San Francisco Bay area. We're about four hours away from fabulous skiing. Yes. And, yes. and then we come back and, you know, the flowers are blooming in the yard. So no snow to shovel. Um, 
just fall to deal with in the summer. <laughs> so he was going off. He was taking the extra car. I do trust him. But he was going to be driving. This is the first time he'd ever done anything like this by himself. Driving there with the snow, you know, up there with this other kid. He was like 19 in their house alone. And this is my son who was always, you know, the second time he went skiing, he did a black diamond run. Mm. He says, I like being up there and, and getting that funny feeling in my stomach. And I'm like, I ain't getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> that funny feeling. Like, can we just like, do something on level ground? Anyway. Yes. So I was, I was very nervous and we were negotiating. He had studied a little NBC about him checking in with me. And cell phones were, they weren't super new, but you know, and I'm like, okay. And, and I was trying to figure it out. And finally, I just said, well, just call me all the time. He said, mom. Because <laughs> he heard it as me not trusting him, which really wasn't what was happening. Yeah. I was feeling afraid and my need for safety and protection of these people I love. That was what's up, what was up for me. And I was trying to come up with a strategy that would meet my needs. And I came up with a very unrealistic one. Like just call me all the time. You know? Yes. Yes. And, and so we made, we made a deal and I said to him, okay, you know, are you going to, will you stay on the path and not go? He said, mom, I'm going to stay on the path. I'm not going to go outside the path. You know, and we had a couple other things and we made an agreement of when he would call me, like call me when you get there. And call me at the end of the day. I don't remember what it was, yeah, but at the yeah. end of the first day of skiing or whatever it was. And he felt heard and seen and because he was wanting to spread his wings and, you know, live his life. He was, you know, going to be going off to college. To, you know, I don't remember how old he was, but maybe he had another year. I don't remember, but he was right at that age and he was trustworthy and he, he came home when he was supposed to and that kind of thing. It wasn't a problem. It was all about me. Yeah. So we made, we made a mutually acceptable agreement, a specific agreement of when he would call me. And then he was really happy. And I, I was really happy. And I was very enthusiastic that he had this adventure because you have to, you know, you have to do these things when you're growing up and uh, part of being an adult. And pretty soon he was calling me more than the agreement. And mm. finally I just said, Stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to call me this much. You know, Mom, I want to tell you what I did today. I did and it was it was like when I when I showed him because this is the thing with adolescence. It starts with the first adolescence is when you're two and then the second one is, you know, when you're thirteen or fourteen, but it's so on. But when I showed him through my words and my commitment that I not only acknowledge but respected the absolute truth of his autonomy. That's what adolescents want. They mm. want you to respect their autonomy. And when they're young adolescents, the only thing they can do is not eat, not clean their room, not do their homework, or dye their hair pink. Like, <laughs> they don't have credit cards. They can't drive. They know they need you, and it makes them really mad because they're trying to push away in a healthy way. And so they, these are autonomy needs. And that same kid, for a while, when he was 13 or 14, like it would be dinner time. And I'd say, I got his bed and bell to ring because I got tired of screaming around the house. And he wouldn't come. And we like to say our food is blessing and have dinner together, you know, as a bonding moment. And he wouldn't come and he wouldn't come. And so I 
so what I get, you're going to laugh at me, which is fine. Many people have laughed at me <laughs> often. If I would go to the store and would knock on the door and say, sweetheart, we're all sitting down at the table right now. And we'd really love your company, but we're going to start. And then I'd go sit down. And, just, and then he would come. And just, yeah, let because, him make that decision versus. Well, he was, but this is what parents don't get. Yeah. Every human being has autonomy because listen to this. You can make your children up to a certain point when you're bigger than them. Yeah. You can make them do what you want, but they'll make you wish you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> they still have power. Do you ever try to put a two-year-old to sleep when they didn't want to go to sleep? Yeah, no. And so nonviolent communication in the familial vein is really important to recognize the child's autonomy. That doesn't mean you give up yours. You're the parent. They're the kid. Yes. I didn't care if my kids liked me. You know? I hear you. Yeah, we're, I'm not here to be but, your best friend. I, I'm here to to help you through life and make sure you are safe. And always, I said my number one concern is about your health and well being. Yeah. That need of mine needs to be met. And uh, in our students and in our professional lives, it's a it's a different thing. I believe what we want to do is to use the interactions with our students and and colleagues as a way of living the yamas and the niyamas. Mm. So the yamas and the niyamas are always taught as proscription, like don't harm, don't steal, don't, you know. And then the niyamas, which are saying do, have discipline, do, surrender, do, practice contentment. It's something you're supposed to do, all right? But these are proscriptive. And it hit me one day in a blinding flash of the obvious that what if they were descriptive? Mm. What if the yamas and the niyamas were describing what it, how an integrated person lived, or e- even the whole Ashtanga Yoga Patanjali? You know, a, 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 an integrated person doesn't harm consciously, mm. doesn't steal. That's interesting. Doesn't live with greed. And what, ha- what What about if an integrated person took care of the body through asana and knew the power of breath and relied upon it and understood what it meant to take refuge in solitude, which is different than loneliness, or in, in take, take refuge in the present moment, mm. which, because refuge to me is an intention, not a location. You know, Pratyahara to me is about taking refuge. Mm. And then Dharna, Dine, and Samadhi, these deep inner states of recognizing the true self. Like, what if those were, and it's what an integrated person did in some form? If that's how, regardless of epoch or time or religion or background, that an integrated person lived with in that way. When you so, put, yeah, when you put it like that, it makes me think kind of when I was a teenager and I was told, don't go do something, my reaction was a little more like, I want to go do it. And so I like the fact that you're saying if it's more descriptive where there's a almost an example being put forth, such as a evolved individual doesn't harm in, in a way that's in speech or in action. I, I see what you mean by reframing the way that the information is delivered. 
makes me want to do it versus me not want to do it or, you know what I mean? Have the opposite. <laughs> well, listen, the world is based around power over and that has repercussions that we don't like. And the way one of my highest values in relationship with you, with my family, with my students, with the store person who's helping me, uh, is I want it to be mutual. Yeah. Mutual respect, mutual. And either everyone is Buddha or no one is. This is my mantra. Either either everyone is or no one is. Everyone is Buddha or no one is Buddha. In other words, I don't even know if there was a real Buddha. It seems there was. I don't know if he said all those things he said he said. <laughs> they, we say he said or whatever. But that doesn't matter. When I imagine that the car in front of me who's driving like a maniac, is being driven by Buddha. Actually, what I tell myself when I see a car driving, you know, is being driven in a manner that is frightening or scary or we- weaving in and out. I always tell myself there must be a woman <laughs> labor in that car. <laughs> and that shifts me. But if I can imagine you're Buddha, what if you are Buddha? Because we are, you know. And I, it doesn't matter if it's true in that way, really, a Buddha, the Buddha lives. What matters is when I shift, then that thought helps me shift into empathy and compassion for the other person. And even if they don't know they are the true self, I can hold that space for them in a moment. Yes. And then I always like what I say, and I always like what I do when I hold that thought, because, because every thought, every choice, Every word changes the world. The question is, how? Mm-hmm. How does it change the world? Yeah. And we as yoga teachers, first of all, I think being a yoga teacher is a privilege, not a right. And I have a great deal about of humility and gratitude for the fact that I have this as my work, that what I love to do, what is my dharma, is actually... I make my living and that is an incredible blessing that we have so why wouldn't I treat my students with maximum respect they allow me to do what I love to do so why wouldn't I enjoy this talk with you another yoga teacher you give me a space to share what I have learned and maybe it might be of some help to others and this is fulfilling my dharma so I'm giving you a little namaste right now to the phone. Oh, thank you, Judith. It's it's a privilege that we all have to help each other. And Judith, you know, when I, when I wrote you, my, I had heard really wonderful things about you from a friend, uh, Kelly Haas. And I think she's going to be joining you in, uh, New Orleans when you're there coming up soon. And, um, Tell her to come up and say a special hello and remind me. I will. I will. And so when I, I thought she spoke so highly of you that when I got home, I thought Judith is so famous and she's been, she like she's co-founder of yoga journal magazine. I mean, she's been teaching for more than 50 years. Who am I? I mean, I'm just, but I'm going to write her. I'm going to write you anyway and just ask if you'd be willing to be on the show. And I'm just going to try. I mean, it can't hurt to try. Right. And so when you wrote me back and said, sure, I was just like, I mean, you totally made my day. You know what I mean? Like, I, 
I, I jumped up. I went and told my wife. I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> Judith Lasser oh, just said God. yes to being on my podcast. I was like, woo I was so pumped. I am so pumped. I am so happy. And But I, you know, that's, you're living the yoga. You're, you're at the, you're living the yoga. You're sharing, you're sharing it. And you're, and so I just, so that's amazing to me. And I just thank you because it, it did make my day. So, so you did send me a namaste. You've already sent me a couple of namastes already <laughs> before, but, but before. You know what, Todd? You know what? You are, I could feel it. I could hear it. I can sense it. I'm very intuitive. You are such a sincere practitioner and teacher. Oh. There is no, there is no, there's no motivation in you that isn't towards the whole. Oh, thank you, Judith. And you and I are the same. I'm just a lot older. (laughs) And and wiser. And wiser. (laughs) No, I don't know if those go together. They don't necessarily go together, right? Because what we have, like our elderly relative that they get really cranky and angry when they get a little older, don't they? Like, you you know, they, they're, they get harder to be around sometimes. I mean, when, it, but, but I also still want to be present to that because it's, it's such an interesting experience to, to be around my elders that, you know, well, to be honest, I haven't been around an elder lately. That's been cranky with me. Maybe because I'm starting to chill out and listen to them a little bit more. <laughs> well, you know what, ma'am, Thanksgiving is coming. And what if you, when they started doing their thing, you get said, how human of me to not want to hear this? Oh, I hear you. And how, how human, human of them. Yeah. What? And, and so can you, can you hear the hot, can you look at them with soft eyes? And can you hear what's underneath? We have time for one more story. We do. Oh my gosh. I have, I have a lot of time. I'm just, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm, I'm here until, uh, well, you're in okay. California, you're in California. So it's going to be darker here before it will for you, but I'm here till the dark. I'm here till dark. Okay. <laughs> right. but listen, but, but, yeah, but listen, you know, so here, here I am, I'm driving, uh, somewhere from my house and I'm a couple blocks away and the light, you know, I'm in that moment. I got to get there. Got to get there. And the light was, and then I said at the last minute, no, I'm stopping. California has very strict laws about pedestrians. Mm. Pedestrians have the right of way. Literally, I got to take it once because someone almost in a divided street so far away took one step off the curb and I went through this. I went through the crosswalk on the other uh, side. Oh, and we wow. know there's no danger. Yeah. And, yeah. And I got a ticket. Uh, so they're very, very particular. So here I am driving. And this to me is living my yoga, all right? And I go a little bit into the crosswalk, but I do stop. And the man's walking across. He started before the light turned. And he walked up, and he took a fist, and he hit the, the front of my car, mm. the hood of my car. Mm. he said, learn how to drive. And I reacted. I noticed that I reacted typically for me, which is everything's my fault. <laughs> and... <laughs> it's just ego. It's just ego. Nothing. Everything cannot possibly be your fault. No. Uh, and I thought, oh my god. I can't. And then I noticed. I said, okay, I can go there, and I can berate myself, or 
I can give myself empathy yeah. for being in a hurry and not paying as much attention as I would like and maybe driving a little faster than I should have been and how human of me. And then I thought about him and I, he just walked on. I never had words with him, but he, he's a Buddha or no one's Buddha. We're all Buddha, right? So if I think that, I would definitely give empathy to Buddha. So I began to imagine when he said, bam, bam, learn how to drive, what he might have been saying. I'm so afraid that you almost hit me mm. and I have no health insurance. No. And I don't know if I lost yep. this part-time job. I don't know. I would be on the street and I'm very afraid. And I really wish you hadn't done that. Stimulate that fear, which is such a big uh. part of my life. Now, is any of that true? I don't know. But what, what I like about imagining that, the possibility of that, seeing it from him with his soft heart and soft eyes, I felt compassion for him at the same time that I felt compassion for me, that we were both acting through this human form. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, you remember the old bumper sticker, think globally, act locally. Act. Yes, of course. And, and I... I guess I, I'm a little bit of a dreamer in the sense that I figure if everybody learned the communication techniques that you're speaking about, like if the if there was a global education system where like all of a sudden everyone woke up and it just made perfect sense and they all we all knew how to honor each other in this way, like wow, what a beautiful world it would be. Um, but I, I see that starting locally, like personally, obviously that's the only thing I probably really can truly do and have control over. And do you, you do have you, a choice always in every moment? Yeah. Well, I have so enjoyed this talk. Thank you, you Judith. Me too. Connecting I, with you. Oh man, this has just been such a treat, and I'm, you know, I, I just, I'm just so thankful. <laughs> I, I, so re- I really appreciate it. And I can't wait till next time. I, I'm already, you know, visualizing being able to come visit you somewhere where you're teaching and come up and give you a big hug. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, thank you. And I want to appreciate you for your preparation for this talk, this conversation, I should say more accurately and appreciate all the things you do known and unknown that facilitate a world where I want that I want to live in and that I want my children to live in and your children to live in. And they may not be seen some of the things that you do with your practice and your teaching, but I want to honor that. Thank you, Judith. Man, you're amazing. (laughs) So are you. All right. I hear you. Let's ring the bells again. Let's ring the bell. You ready? I'm ready. Turn your palms away from your body. Inhale the breath. Exhaling, bring your palms together in front of the heart. Namaste. May we live like the lotus at home in the muddy water. Thank you all for listening and practicing yoga. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you, Judith. 
Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.